Welcome to the Legendarium. Today on the podcast, the four of us are reviewing the 2015 summer flicks, or at least our favorites. We'll go over Avengers 2, Fantastic Four, Ant-Man, and Inside Out, one of these movies we weren't big fans of. I'll let you guess which. Yes, it is the Legendarium Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Crap, I'm in the wrong room. Oh, man. Yeah, the Legendarium Podcast, uh, by the way, is sponsored by Audible.com, the world's leading provider of audiobooks, and I might add the best. Um, I've been using Audible.com for years, uh, and I want everybody else to as well. Now, as I understand it, none of you guys have signed up for Audible yet. Uh, no, as far no, as you nobody, know. nobody, we don't has. have current Audible accounts. I have used Audible in the past and have many family members who swear by it. So. Yeah, well, at least one member of this podcast, which is sponsored by Audible, actually uses the product. How dare you guys? Um, I am now committing the goal of shame. But oh. uh, I bet that changes by next week. For those of you, actually, for you guys in the room and for those of you out listening, if you sign up through our website, thelegendarympodcast.com, you can get a free credit, uh, which is good for a free audiobook. Uh, what you do, go onto our website, thelegendarympodcast.com, scroll down to the bottom of any page that you happen to be on, and you will see the uh, the Audible ad. There's, there. a, there's a sponsor's link at the bottom, and we're going to be pasting it all over the place. So you'll be able to find it. It's got a pretty picture, and it says some, it has some audible catchphrase. Yeah, yeah, something. I, but this serves two purposes. First of all, obviously, you want to get a free audiobook. Uh, but second of all, it'll actually support the podcast as well. Uh, every time you sign up for an Audible membership and get that free audiobook, it actually uh, some of those proceeds uh, that would have gone to Audible go to the podcast. So we would love your support. Hop on there and uh, and sign up for your free Audible account. Um, my I've been using it, like I said, for a while. I, my first audiobook was Craig Ferguson's American on Purpose, which was read by the author and was wonderful and fantastic. Um, but since then, of course, it has filled up with almost exclusively fantasy and sci-fi books with a smattering of uh, political stuff in there as well. A smattering? A smattering. A smattering. You heard me. It's about the word I used to describe political stuff. Smattering. Smattering. Mm. Actually, uh, to celebrate his uh, would-be 125th birthday, I'm about to start the collected works of H.P. Lovecraft on my Audible account. I'm really looking forward wow. to that. It's uh, you can go on. It's called the Necronomicon. I got out of it. I got into you know the world of Lovecraft got to be too much for me. So yeah. Did did we forget to rescue Craig from the world of Lovecraft? Oh, Lovecraft is great. He's wonderful. Um, and anybody who says otherwise is um, stupid. I so didn't anyway. my joke fast enough, so we're good. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's go ahead and get started, you guys. Um, of course, you know my voice by now. I am Craig Hanks. Uh, now, across from me, he's not scruffy looking. He's my brother. It's Ken Johnson. Who's a nerf herder? <laughs> and he's so sharp, I call him Cheddar, and he likes it. It's Todd Wenty. I feel like I like a little bit of cheese. <laughs> and he's wearing an Apple Watch, and unfortunately nothing else. It's Ryan Bruckman. It covers all the important parts. <laughs> my eyes, my eyes. <laughs> that, my brain. <laughs> there is not we enough We might need a parental advisory on this episode all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't take long. All right. Who had the bet on this one this week? 18 seconds? Oh my goodness. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and, uh, and get started. I'm you about guys. to steal Craig's line. This week, uh, this week we are doing a, a 2015 summer movie review. Um, it, it's been 
a mixed year. Uh, to those who love movies and are super pretentious about it, it's been a terrible year. To all the rest of us who are normal, wonderful human beings, it's been a great year for movies. I feel like there have been a lot of good things that have come out. Um, I really enjoyed me, it, except are, are for you, one exception. Are you calling me pretentious? Are Are you saying this is a bad year for movies? N- no, but you just looked my way when you said pretentious. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> that's uh, you know Freudian slip there, I guess. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we've all prepared a, a little, uh, something about a movie that, uh, that we saw this year. Um, and, and so we'll read that off and, and discuss who's going first. I'm going to roll the dice. Um, let's see 20. That's a critical win. So we hear from Todd first. Hey, Todd, what's your movie? My movie is Avengers 2 Age of Ultron. Oh, you picked the easy one. It's really the one that kicked it all off. It <laughs> yeah, is the it one that kicked it all off. And let's face it, I'm the comic guy, so I probably yeah. ought to be doing one of the comic movies, right? I can appreciate that. Okay. So here we go. The difficult part about a sequel is knowing what made the original a success. After all, if you guess wrong, you have a lot of time and money invested into something that can't carry its own weight. Thankfully, Avengers 2 The Age of Ultron didn't seem to suffer from that problem. Grossing to date $457 million in domestic and receipts of $1.4 billion worldwide. That's a lot of money. It is easily one of the top grossing films in the Marvel Universe, let alone of the summer possibly in the history of all movies. Panned by some critics and moviegoers as too slow or convoluted, it delivered on two fronts. First, it was a fine platform for introducing new characters and strengthening the place of emerging characters in Marvel's pantheon, with Scarlet Witch, Falcon, Hawkeye, a guy with a bow, all demonstrating why they should be part of a team that includes an Asgardian god, a billionaire genius playboy philanthropist, and the original poster child for Mom, Apple Pie in America. Second, it was a successful vehicle at both tying together more firmly the Marvel Cinematic and television universes while simultaneously setting the stage for the impending showdown brewing in the upcoming civil war oh and there was plenty of punching too Fan- <laughs> fanboys and girls seem to be more receptive to the movie than the than the average viewer, re- recognizing the storyline as one of the more pivotal lines from the Avengers archives. It also gave a chance for the actors to do more than run around the city together, with human moments and revelations serving as wonderful counterpoint to what could otherwise have been a travelogue to blast fest. We got a chance in this movie to see more about the people in the costumes and the lives they lead when not saving the world, and that seemed to make them much more super. James Spader playing Ultron filled the role of bad guy nicely, silencing concerns that he wasn't going to be all that interesting. And the final fight between Vision animated Jarvis and Machine animated by Tony's paranoia was absolutely fitting. Avengers 2 The Age of Ultron was a great start to the summer movie season, and if it had been the only movie out this summer, that would have been just fine. Wow, really? The only one? Yep. Wow, okay. If we had had to suffer through an entire summer of bad rom-coms and biopics, which we're probably going to have to do through the fall, I would have been okay. I would have said it was a good summer. Quick poll, biopic or biopic? Biopic. But, Ryan? Mm, Biopic. Yeah, I I go biopic. Mostly because I really like the word myopic. I was going to say, it sounds an awful lot like myopic. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Uh, There's no way we can make a good joke out of that. It's a biographical picture. It's a biopic. Yeah, Okay. Uh, anyway, straight out of Compton. Um, what? Set in the I room saw of the four whitest men in the state of Utah at the moment right. who all want to go see oh, straight man, out of Compton. Right? Compton. No, I have I, zero desire to see. I do you really? Do not. Oh man, I want to go. Sorry, I do too. Tangent coming back. Really anyway, 
So anyway, um, yeah, Fire when Pit. I first saw Age of Ultron, it was actually uh, during my vacation in France. Um, one night, it was a rainy night, and my wife didn't really want to leave the hotel, and I said, all right, I'm going out. I'm going to go see Age of Ultron. So I didn't get uh, the performance by James Spader. I, of course, I got oh, somebody yeah, else. Oh, yeah, you got somebody else. Um, and, but they animated him in such a way that uh and and of course and the french actor did a great job with it um i really enjoyed it i i really enjoyed ultron although i will say that the critics of the movie i think do have a point with the convoluted nature of the storyline because i saw it twice i i came back to the states and saw it again um and i both times i had a tough time getting to the animation of uh of uh, jarvis into what's he called into vision vision Vision. Vision. yeah Yeah, like how did you know how did this all come to pass anyway i had a tough time both times with that now todd you're looking at me like i'm a freaking moron but remember i haven't been reading these comic books for 30 freaking years i'm trying to put that back in my head i apologize i apologize you're right and and that is defensive there and and that is true It, it it reads there are pieces of this that read better because of the assumptions that someone who's been reading the comic books for years makes and the, under, the understanding that they have. Part right. of it is you're not wrong. Uh, based on interviews from Joss Whedon that, that say he, a lot of what was taken out of uh, the Avengers movie to, to cut for time was stuff from Thor and his vision and, and things that explain how vision came to be. So right. that's why it was called a vision because he had I, I have had a vision. Ultron says, you were my vision. And so all of a sudden he's the vision. You know, that's where that name comes from in the movies anyway. But I have a feeling once the Blu-ray comes out, it'll explain that a little bit better because all that stuff will get jammed back in. And yeah, maybe. I, I did feel that those pieces were a little shallow in terms of explanation, but I didn't really have an issue yeah. figuring it out. I I, yeah. I call that out, but I should also say I had an awesome time. It's a yeah. fun movie. It's extremely well made. Joss Whedon obviously has a talent that many action directors don't. Uh, for dialogue and character development. Oh, yeah. And so when you have the scene with uh, picking up Thor's hammer, that's a great example of, let, you know, let's take three minutes and uh, and just have a little fun. Let's hang out with these characters before this giant war starts. Right? And, when, which also leads to about the funniest part in the movie that nobody sees coming when Vision shows up. And picks up and Thor's hands, nobody sees coming. hands his hammer to, to Thor. Oh, my goodness. I would say we can't say nobody says it because when I took my wife to see it, when I went the second time, she leaned over to me before that ever happened. She's like, he's going to pick up the hammer, isn't he? He's going to pick up the hammer. Oh, she's so smart. Oh, hey, I got a question for you guys. When Captain America budges the hammer. Mm. uh, And Thor does his his little eye. Yeah, Yeah. and Thor's like freaking out a little bit. Uh, Did Captain America stop on purpose? Did, you know? No. 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 Could no. I mean how can he how can he even budget if he can't lift it? I, I th- he's just closer. That's I all. think there's I think there's a there's a there's a point in this in in the history of all of the of all of the pieces about Thor that talk about worthiness of holding the hammer, uh, of wielding the hammer, and I think that there's that that's an indication. It's a it's a nod to the relatively unjaded nature of Steve Rogers in this group of heavily heavily jaded individuals. Yeah, 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 and let's let's not forget. Joss Whedon does great things, but if he doesn't have good actors to pull off what he wants, 
um, then he's got a real he's got a real difficult job. And all of this this crew of of actors they they gel. They have a chemistry very similar to the Rat Pack from the 1960s. They it almost looked like they were saying, you know what, we need to have a party shot in this in this film. Right. Let's let's throw one together in the same way that the Rat Pack said, let's go to Vegas. Oh, there's we get Ocean's Eleven. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now um, I really can't wait till this one comes out on video because I, I can't wait to see it again. Because uh, I loved Age of Ultron. Is there a toy for uh, for this one? I, when uh, Guardians came out, it was all about uh, the little dancing Groot. Uh, is there a toy for Age of Ultron that everybody should be looking forward to? Not really. I, um, I can't really think of one. I have just uh, your just the regular action figures, probably. Well, there's a there's, there's a Hulkbuster Lego. I ha- and I have the Hulkbuster. I think Hulkbuster was the thing yeah, that came that out was, of this. That, was, that was probably the unique one. I have a I have a Hulkbuster. Um, bobblehead uh, figure that I got from my Marvel Marvel loot crate when mm-hmm. Avengers came out. Nice. Actually, the toys have caused quite a stir when Legendary they got released. Legendary podcast is sponsored by Loot Crate. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we wish. Sue. No, but the toys actually Sue. there was a there actually, was a big, Marvel's correct collector's crate. A big hate. Uh, I can't think of the phrase at the moment because my brain is sh- shutting down. Um, so we should go to you next. Your movie, exactly. Right? Yeah. The uh, give Ryan more pizza. The so the you know the scene where Black Widow pops out on the on the motorcycle. Like, I remember all yes. of the scenes with Black Widow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they decided in the toy sets to release that scene set the yeah. with the motorcycle and everything, but with Captain America instead of Black Widow. Oh really? And really it made people furious. You know what? And I see Nick furious. I see the point because it's just it's. It, it, it's almost at this point uh, deliberate how Marvel is not marketing the female characters in their movies. Uh, Guardians came out. There almost, were it's almost it, it's almost, almost deliberate. deliberate. <laughs> I, it could be an oversight. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but it, it's really it, it's ridiculous. It honestly is. Uh, the Guardians are, are released in toys. No Gamora. If there's, you can't if find there's a Black one, Widow. If there's one thing that we learned a year ish ago from the Sony hack. It's that uh, Hollywood is still full of racists and misogynists. It's just a fact of life. You're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Uh, am I wrong? No, no you're no, not I'm wrong. Not no, wrong. You're not Especially wrong. after thinking about that Fantastic Four piece that we saw. We're going to get there. Um, do you guys want to do that now? I or? demand you air quote when you say that. Go ahead, because because we've, we've had a, oh, we love this here. Okay. Let's go ahead and go into Fantastic Four yeah. where all the warm feelings are going to go away. Fantastic Four <laughs> is the one I'm taking on. Um now, okay, so let me read my prepared remarks here. If you enjoyed Fantastic Four... Prepare for expletives. Then there is no... <laughs> if you enjoyed Fantastic Four, then there is no hope of understanding between you and me. What? There's plenty of stuff to talk about, but let's go through a, a recap first. Now, Reed Richards is a boy genius whose remarkable intelligence goes unnoticed until he's at a science fair at what appears to be a 26-year-old high school... As what appears to be a 26-year-old high school senior... His diorama displays the machine he's been working on for years with his best friend, a teleporter that sends inanimate objects and hopefully someday people on a trip to another dimension and back again. A recruiter comes calling from a high-profile school where students are apparently just lab workers and Reed, along with his shiny new friends, builds his machine on a grand scale with pods for sending up to four people on an interdimensional trip. That's right, four not five. But wait, you may be asking, don't we need to send five people so there's room for the heroes and the lone villain? No, we don't. And stop asking questions. 
The Invisible Woman, despite being shut out of the boys' club, will get her powers somehow. We're not really sure how, but but shut up. So it's because she's not visible in life anyway. So one guy dies on the planet that is literally spewing out geysers of X Men juice, and everyone else gets powers. <laughs> and then the government experiments on them for a year, all except for Reed, who runs away and totally abandons his friends. I'm afraid. When he gets captured and taken back, they fix up the machine again and send a different team over, who are killed by the bad guy named Doctor Doom. Ryan must love that; it's worse than Mount Doom. Uh, which which bad guy has been waiting on Planet X Men for over a year? He's absorbed uh, some pretty wicked stuff and is now out to kill everybody because he's a bad guy. And that's that. The four heroes band together and defeat him in about five minutes and are then awarded their own private extension of the U.S. government. Not a bad prize. When the movie ended... You might say it's fantastic. (laughs) When the movie ended, I was shocked. Um, As I walked through the lobby, at first I was confused. I spent the drive home somewhat angrily trying to work out what had just happened. By the time I woke up the next morning, I was livid. I've seen a lot of movies, uh, and they've ranged from glorious to appalling, but for the life of me, I cannot think of another movie that has made me so angry. And he's been angry mm-hmm. for two weeks now. Angry that mm-hmm. I'd sat through it, yeah. But more than that, I was angry for all the people who had no doubt worked hard to make a great movie, only to see it made into garbage by the big shots behind the scenes. Within a day of release, the story of director Josh Trank's dissatisfaction with the studio was the stuff of legend. He mostly seems to blame the editing, and in a way that's fair, the editing was indeed very, very bad. But I saw the scenes that Trank directed, and they were worse. Without the knowledge that comes from being a Hollywood insider, I put the blame squarely in two places. One, with Trank, whose direction made this movie flat-out depressing, and two, with a producer somewhere who didn't have the spine to go to the studio and have the plug pulled when it was clear that they were throwing good money after bad. <sighs> do you feel I, better? Do you feel better? I yeah, I kind of do a little bit. I so so Craig. I feel like that, we should have now some that you've expressed music. all of this. Yeah. Where do we go from here? Well, I've got a. I've got some more to the sequel to talk about. that is still going to be produced. No, now here's the thing: is I'm not mad about that uh, because. This franchise needs to happen. Uh, I I need it to happen because uh, I'm a free market guy, and I need. I'm, I'm so excited for Marvel to have some competition to force them to keep their game up. Uh, now here, there's no dice, um, but uh, but I'm hopeful that going forward, you know, they, they can make this, which is it's a beloved comic book. It's got a lot of potential there. I want this to be some Marvel competition. I would love to see this movie. I, I would love to see the sequel made because one, I like the actors that were in this movie. I like them. I like every one of my thoughts. Yeah. Oh, those are, those are good casts. And, and two, it won't have Josh Trank attached to it. I am not kidding. As I was watching this movie, it made me more and more mad that Josh Trank's name was ever attached to anything that had to do with star Wars. That that made me angry. Was he, he was originally he attached was supposed to, to Rogue Squadron or uh, Rogue, Rogue One, one yeah. yeah, or yeah, I think Rogue One. It made me mad that they would even consider putting his anything toward the guy is criminally overrated. Um, I, I, I don't know sad. about that. Wow, I, I don't know about that. Wow, that I would need more of and his unhinged. Work to, I would need more. Yeah, of his he's work only to, he's only made like three or four films, right? Okay, but I will say I, he is I will criminally say, unhinged. 
I think having not seen the Fantastic Four, there it is. Yeah, you're the one here who hasn't seen it. Who yet. thankfully learned from all of your mistake. Um, a movie like this on this level is a career killer when it comes out this bad. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I don't think he'll he'll get more to do. He's he might done. do some indie stuff. Well, not but. only the movie being this bad, but all the dirty laundry that comes with it. Nobody's gonna touch him. Yeah, I well, mean, when they know that anything that goes by, bad. And will, by the way, and it's not just the fact that he made an artistically poor product, which he absolutely did. Uh, but speaking of throwing good money after bad, Sony put $120 million into this festering pile of garbage. So far, they've received about a third of that back. Yeah. And uh, and there's no way, and they're not picking up any momentum. That's for darn sure. No, they'll be they'll be they'll be lucky to come close to break even by the time they finally release things the, like DVDs, Blu-rays, and the 25th anniversary edition. And the the yeah. thing was is the bar was relatively low to do a better Fantastic Four than what had right. previously existed. The, and the last one now it looks like a little diamond in the rough. It's a fun yeah. little movie. I you know I've never hated the original Fantastic Four movie. Um, they were just they campy. Did. Yeah, they were campy. That was their issue. They're, it's not a terrible writing. It's not terrible acting. It's just campy. And for being that those were some of the earlier comic movies that we were dealing with, that's it was people trying to figure out well how do we do a comic book movie well other than the first X Men that we did you know or Batman we've done those but that's it. Yeah, well, they they came out before comic books were made with a measure of seriousness mm-hmm. the, and and part of the trouble with the fantastic four is that as a franchise it is a little less known and it has a tendency to take itself much more seriously than the other franchises within the comic universe or or than than movie audiences are are prepared to take it i i would buy that as well yeah. and because and because of that you you really struggle finding a way to to please anybody with this kind of a film. Right. It has to be an action packed film with hints of the seriousness, rather than a serious film with some action thrown in. And, and it's tough to walk that line well, when you're dealing with this kind of with this kind of genre. And if I if I were the studio executive or the director or whoever, I. I wouldn't want to make another Avengers, which is what it could very easily turn out to be if we're going by the description you just gave. Uh, it sounds like another Avengers. Now, Avengers is a great movie and everything, but I, I don't want to watch four Avengers a year, you know, yeah, in right. different forms. I, I Let them be them, uh, you know. So I don't know where that line is. I don't know where you take it, but I don't mind campy. Um, we uh, Ryan and I, I don't think we're going to be discussing this one here, but Ryan and I went and saw The Man from Uncle. The Man from Uncle, yeah. yeah which I, which, which I is very, this last very, week too. it's I, like, it's cheesy, it it's campy, it but it's, um, <laughs> but it revels in that. It owns the campiness uh, and they have a lot of fun with it. That it, was. Boron blades sharpened with a CO2 laser. <laughs> yeah, it only was that it was set in now, the 60s. <laughs> let me let me tell you uh, another thing, and and uh, for the two of you who have seen Fantastic Four, you can tell me if you agree. Uh, somebody asked me, I think I was talking to my brother uh, the next day or whatever, uh, and he said, "Why why was it so bad? I mean, you sound really upset, and I was, I am very upset." And uh, so I, I came up with an analogy, and tell me what you think. Watching the Fantastic Four is. A little bit like going on a, a tour of some building and you're walking down a hallway. You're going from point A to point B. And as you're walking down this hallway, there are all these doors. Yeah, I think and the doors, about And the doors are marked, um, you know, they're labeled with what's behind them. And every once in a while you get to like, they, they open the door and you peek inside. And then the tour guide says, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. And you get to the very end 
And first of all, you, you get to a very abrupt end. That hallway wasn't nearly as long as you thought it could have been or should have been. Uh, but then you look back and you're going, well, hang on. We sh- really should have gone and toured some of those rooms, too. So what I mean by that is there are all of these storylines that that should have or could have been followed that would have made this movie much more impactful. So, for instance, uh, Reed, after they get all their powers uh, and the government's kind of locking them all up, Reed escapes and he abandons his best friend, Ben, who's been turned into the, the to thing. The thing yeah. uh, and there's some bad blood there. Um and it and, resolves in less than 35 yeah, seconds. Yeah, and he, he so Ben goes and, and uh, they find out where Reed is and he, he goes and picks him up. And there's like a line given to the fact that, hey, you abandoned me and I hate you. And then, yeah, about 30 seconds later, it's like, okay, let's but go save the but world. But we're cool now. Yeah, and there was no exploration of that. Another one, Reed and Sue's love story and the, the triangle with Victor Von Doom. What Victor love Von story? Doom. Yeah, what? What love story? Yeah. A- anyway, um, the other thing, one year later, one of my least favorite moments of that entire movie, one year later, as soon as I saw it, it didn't even take me to the end of the film. It, as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, you H'ers, <laughs> I hate you guys. You know, and, and the story, so the, the characters have to come to grips with their powers. They have, now they have altered bodies that feel foreign to them. They have to come to grips with that. That's an interesting door to go through. Um, how about the pathology of Victor Von Doom stuck for a year in the harshest environment you can imagine? What you know? What does that do to a guy? Uh, yeah. Apparently, makes him a homicidal maniac. But but you know, there's no there's no explanation with or, with, with uh, poorly understood or poorly explained powers. Oh, that's we yeah, out? that's oh, another thing. Jeez. Uh, why is it that he can melt the brain and explode the head of anybody? except the Fantastic Four. In my brain, I thought, you know, it's probably because they visited the same planet and they got powers from the same place. But I was left to guess that. Yeah, but, I don't but heaven forbid we explain that to you. Yeah. Well, and the other the other thing about this, I, th- I think the thing that really sums up what this is about, and you've hinted at it, and, and, and I'm just going to say it, the difference between the Avengers and the Fantastic Four is not all of those things. It's one of those things, and it's the passion of the creative mind behind the process. Joss Whedon understood the Avengers. What's his bucket? <laughs> Josh Trank. <laughs> um, yeah. I wanted to call him something else, but I, I don't want to go there. Um, obviously did not understand the franchise. He didn't understand the Fantastic Four, and no one at 20th Century Fox did either i think that and that's the yep. problem they think that they they treat superhero there's a tendency to treat superhero movies as though they are a franchise throw in some action a little bit of sexual tension and a bad guy that seems insurmountable but a, f- a super cool way to beat him and you've got a blockbuster and that's not it <laughs> at all movie audiences are more sophisticated than that and fan the the fans of the franchise are far less forgiving than that. 20th Century Fox is going to is going to work very hard to win back anything from either to, from either of the two groups and what they're going to find is that the best they can do with the next film is get back to zero. Planet Zero. Wow. I think well if we're going to take a silver lining from this from Fantastic 4 here it's exactly that last little bit you were just talking about. We have just proven that a superhero comic film can fail. And hard. And because up to uh, pretty much since Iron Man, 
I might argue. Yeah, because even Superman, as difficult as it was, was still successful and relatively well received. Yeah, you. Yeah. For I think a lot of these studios looked at this and went, "Hey, this is something really hard to screw up." As long as you, you know, grab one of the comic books, as long as you put some money into it, sink 120 million dollars into it, and you can't lose. It's the same thing the studios did with Elvis back in the 60s. Hey, yeah. all we need to do is throw Elvis into a movie, and it's going to be a big blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Right. It sucked. Yeah, Sony saw it as one giant money printing press and failed to put in the effort and the actual work to make what Marvel is succeeding at, and DC is, a, to a lesser extent, succeeding at. For, failed to put in, you know, what what makes those work? Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, all the executives at all those studios, all the actors and directors, everyone who's now going to be part of future projects, can know that and feel that weight just a little bit of. Yeah, it's possible to screw these up, and and I want to give I I, I still want to give I, I think you said it, but I want to I want to uh, echo what you said, Craig. The actors did a pretty decent job with the drivel that they were given. Yeah, yeah. They they worked really hard to make. There were some there were some really cool moments between um, uh, between Johnny and Sue. Um, there were some cool moments between. Um, between Victor and Reed early on, I mean, there were some there were some great glimmers, um, and I think the actors did pretty well. There were a couple given what they were given. It, it made me mad because you you get to see you know those for a couple of seconds, but Michael B. Jordan is a great actor, and all he's relegated to is a a little punk with daddy um, issues. It, I I was being somewhat flippant earlier about uh, the racism and sexism in Hollywood, but this is a prime example. The black actor and the female actor were so blatantly discriminated against in the script as to be uh, antebellum. It this was so bad. It was so bad. Um, I I won't Google we, the word we, antebellum. Someone <laughs> pre-war, so uh, pre-civil war. Oh, um, got it. Anyway, it, it's uh, we've spent enough time on Fantastic Four, and I, I want to move on. So I won't. Used as a verb before. That was an adjective, Todd. It can, was an sorry, sorry. Can we talk about the anti-Fantastic Four then? Um, oh. Yeah, go ahead. Which, by the by the way, I I am irritated with all of you that you did not air quote Fantastic once, as what? you said, Fantastic hey, Four. Can you remember that time that this was a podcast? <laughs> Wait, where? Nobody can see you. Okay, well. I wish I, I wish that. I couldn't. To see paint you. the picture, we all air quoted Fantastic Four as it should always forever be. So, what's your movie? Ant Man. Ant Man. Oh all my right. goodness! Is the anti Fantastic Four in, in <laughs> the anti Fantastic Four? Fantastic Four in the gigantic five year roadmap laid out by the Marvel bigwigs. This was the movie that made people go, "Huh? What Ant Man?" But man, this movie. It ended up being the one that proves that Kevin Feige, Kathleen Kennedy at all really know what the heck they're doing because this movie was good. It is basically a a glorified heist caper film masquerading as a superhero film. It starts with the standard trope of the thief, in this case Scott Lang, played by Paul Rudd, who's smarter than the average thief and not as bad as he's originally perceived. And he sets up the inner conflict of choosing what's right over what's easy when ex-con buddies talk him into ripping off some old guy who in this case, happens to be Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man, who set up the entire thing in the hopes that Lang will take his place as Ant-Man. My friend's girlfriend is a maid over at this one guy's house. 
That was actually really let's funny. let's wait let's wait Todd let him get through it this movie okay I I actually saw this twice and it was good the first time it was even better the second time around that they do a great job with the special effects it's got a fun story it's still it was hard the first time to fully embrace the shrinking power it felt hokey but it is fun watching the uh, watching the effects as he shrinks and as he grows again introducing wasp was good because it's good to have another female superhero not just for the sake of introducing another female but she actually adds something or will add something. We'll get to that in a minute. Michael Pena is hilarious as Scott Lang's buddy slash former cellmate who really acts just as geeky as any one of us would if we were told we get to run around with superheroes. It was fun watching the micronized versions of the typical action destruction as he's running across a... He runs across a scale model. Right. Things are exploding. There's a train fight, only it's a micronized train. Very exciting. Like all other Marvel properties, it builds off of what came before it. Credit scenes drive the story forward. Uh, Hagen Pym describes in detail the plot to break, up a, break into a place and steal some stuff, as it says in the commercial, not in the movie. Lang suggests that they call the Avengers. Then there's the, some recalling of the Age of Ultron with dropping bil- or cities on... Uh, people there's quantum realm talk which seems to allude to the doctor strange movie the end credit scenes what's that nothing Eh. go on the end credit scenes allude to the upcoming captain america civil war and wasp probably taking her spot in the avengers for infinity war of course there are easter eggs that called back to the comics darren cross the bad guy mentions tales to astonish which was where hank pym's ant-man first appeared in 1962 it's Everything good that Fantastic Four wasn't. The writing is clever. It's funny in parts where it's supposed to be funny. There's an origin story, but it quickly establishes who the bad guy is. And it quickly shows how the hero gets his powers. There's conflict. It's resolved. It tells you why there's conflict. And it tells you how it's resolved. And it doesn't waste your time with all of this buildup. Weren't these supposed to be two minutes? Yeah, I know, right? That was two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says four minutes later. All right. Where was the chatter in between? Anyway, I go tried, see this movie. It was good. Greg shut me down. Dude. It was good. Go see it. <laughs> yeah, Ant-Man. I, I loved Ant-Man. I, I think... I know I've seen it at least twice. I may have seen it a third time. I don't remember. <laughs> you, I, uh, that was a good weekend. I loved Ant-Man for a couple reasons. One is that we got a superhero movie. Or like you said, it was a heist movie that was... With superheroes. Superheroes, with superheroes yeah. yep. And they stayed true to that. Rather than being like, hey, look at Ant-Man. Look at his cool powers and everything. It's like, we got to pull off something. Conveniently, we have a superhero here who can do that. Let me... let me. Oh, sorry. And the the other thing about it that I, that I loved is when they first announced that they were doing Ant-Man and that they had cast Paul Rudd as Scott Lang. Now, I'm not super familiar with the Ant-Man uh, history ethos there, but... Reading up on it, it was that Scott Lang, you know, this thief or whatever. I went, okay, so we're getting, we're we're not getting the first iteration of of Ant Man here. This is a character who's already been established, and they they did a great job of yeah paying tribute yeah. to Ant Man as it was originally done by Hank Pym. Yes, but bringing it into the second generation, so we established that this is something in the Marvel universe that has existed for a while. The same way that they've got Captain America, you know, back Captain America's starting time, and you know, before with Thor and stuff like that, but that this this superhero existence has spanned much longer than since Iron Man came on the scene. Right, right. right. Um, yeah. Can I tell you why? I Now, I have not seen Ant-Man. I'm the lone among us who has not seen Ant-Man. But 
just in it, its existence, I really like it. And I've I've seen the clips floating around online. I've heard all about it, you know. So I have no doubt that I will like the film when I see it. But uh, similar to you remember in our Mistborn discussion, one of our favorite things about that first Mistborn book was uh, that it was it was basically a heist book. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you know, masquerading as fantasy, uh, or the other way around, whatever. Um, anyway, I. I like that about this movie. Uh, Marvel doesn't rest on its laurels. Uh, you can watch Iron Man and Captain America and Thor, and and to a yeah, to a limited extent, they have very similar storylines. Uh, and uh, and you get to the end of that, and and Marvel says, well, you know, we can't do the same thing over and over and over again. So they're going to do Guardians of the Galaxy, which is kind of an ensemble comedy. Uh, action and then they're going to do ant-man which is a heist movie with superheroes so they're not and being, comedy they're, and they're not being overly formulaic and i really appreciate that about them which should get people excited and slightly thoughtful about what they're going to do with dr strange oh yeah because that's a character that's not going to fit into the same mold as iron man thor those previous ones it's not going to be the it, it, it's not going to be the comedic romp that Ga- <laughs> guardians was or that Ant-Man is. No, so, I have right. I have money that that Doctor Strange is going to be more of a horror paranormal film. I would I would love that. Something, I think it's I, I don't I think mean, it's going to be horror on the level of Friday the Thirteenth, but I think it's going no, to be a weird, paranormal kind of a weird film. weird fiction. It's, it's yes. going to be trippy. Yes. Yeah. And it's going to be like H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did. There. I can't believe you just <laughs> did that. Now I'm going to have to wash my brain. You know what? Oh, sorry. Do you ahead. not like Lovecraft? I'm not a. Th- I'm not a fan. You're not a fan. I'm not a fan. You don't like Lovecraft. So anyway, we'll have to read some Lovecraft and make a decision on it. Yeah. All right. Know. Anyway, I I really the the one thing that I really liked about Ant Man, um, go I, again going in as the, as the comic nerd, is that the the treatment that they gave this was very different from the way that it's shown up in the comic books. Um, but Ant-Man, especially the Scott Lang version of Ant-Man, is one that's not quite as well-known, uh, even among those of us that follow the comic book series. So they could they could take a few liberties with this. They did. They worked. But here's the other thing. Marvel brilliantly wove some major set pieces from their universe into this one as well. Yeah. Hydra makes an appearance. S.H.I.E.L.D. makes an appearance. Um, the, the, car- or the actors that played... Um, Howard Stark uh, makes an appearance. Um, yep. you, Agent Carter, you've shows got up again. Sh- Agent Carter shows up. So you've Haley. got a. They do a wonder. Oh. They're really being careful about weaving these universes together. That does that does a couple of things for them. It keeps some of us engaged in the television as much as we're engaged in the movies, and it makes significant amounts of money to keep them funding this machine moving forward. Ain't that the truth? Um, the, last final thoughts on Ant Man. Well, not just Ant-Man, but on Marvel in general, this is a movie that shows yet again why Marvel succeeds and while it will go back to 20th Century Fox, why, why they fail or why Sony fails is that they don't say, okay, superhero movie, throw it, go. They say, okay, let's make this a heist caper. Go back to Captain America Winter Soldier. This is a spy thriller. Go back to Guardians of the Galaxy. This is a fun ensemble romp. They take a, a story idea that works and then they fit their Marvel Universe into it. They don't say, Marvel Universe, here we go. This is all we need. You really, I mean, honestly, anyone who's listening to this already has this argument in their head and worked through. 
But you look at the titles, just line up the titles, and then the success that they've had and how you felt coming out of those movies. You go over and you look at, you know, the third reboot of Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield, whatever, or whatever. I don't know if it's the third, whatever. But I think it was the eighth and a half. Something yeah. like that. You sure go through the, the new Spider-Mans, you know, you go through the new Fantastic Four, you go through all these things, and you then you line up the Marvel ones on the other side. You look at the DC, Man of Steel, I and mean, then you say, okay, each on their own, like some of them have, some of them have been good movies, some of them have been good, but none of them carry the weight of and the continued success of being a, a large web like the Marvel Universe has. Yep. And this... Web. Yeah, Spider-Man. This is... speed. I mean, and... Most of us here don't have a horse in the in the comic race. I don't care if DC or Marvel is better, you know, which one is better. Right. As of right now, in the last few, I mean, growing up, DC was always better in my mind simply because I was more familiar with their characters. The Justice League was cooler. Batman, like, those were more prominent characters to me than Iron Man, than, you know, a lot of these others. Sure. But now Marvel has done such a good job with this that they are currently, in the majority of people's minds, I would say the front runner in terms of like the number one name in comics, who's the best in comics right now? You say, at least in the film department, Marvel. Marvel. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go on. Ryan, what's your film? Speaking of things that Disney owns, um, that's everything. <laughs> we're. I'm actually. Uh, you've got an action film, action film, action film. Mine's a little different. I've tackled Inside Out. Oh yeah, good one. Good it, choice. This one, I I loved Inside Out. Uh, it was it was a film that really I walked out feeling good having felt a number of different things, and as such, I thought it would be a, a good fit. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what makes us think and act the way we do? Wouldn't it be terribly fun and convenient if it were little people inside our head? Inside Out provides adults and children alike the opportunity to explore the way we think and feel by taking us on a journey through the mind of Riley, an 11-year-old girl, a mindset that Craig has never left. Hey, I hate you. <laughs> as she deals with moving from her beloved and joy-filled home in Minnesota... To a new and strange place in San Francisco. We play hockey? <laughs> we are introduced to five characters. Joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. Yay, who, anger. Who are each the representation of an emotion and the team responsible for how Riley reacts to the world. I'm not sure. When a malfunction in the control center causes the core memories to fall out of place, Joy and sadness are pulled along and find themselves on a journey through Riley's mind, trying to return the core memories back to the control center. The journey through the various parts of the mind is intriguing and very fun. My personal favorite being the movie studio where dreams are made. But it's really an additional character that we meet along the way that steals the hearts of kids and adults alike. And makes them cry. Bing bong! A dormant imaginary friend who is part cat, part elephant, and is made up of cotton candy. As an adult, <laughs> it's a reminder of the things that you may have forgotten, but for a child he's another cute and cuddly friend. Who's your favorite friend? Bing Who's your friend bong, who likes to play? Bing Bong is a single instance of what I believe is one of the most successful facets of this film. The ability to tell the same story to two audiences with arguably equal success. It's a fun adventure story for children, and for adults it can carry a more personal meaning as you reflect on your own life and development. You mean like every Pixar film? Pretty much. What if feelings had feelings? The cast of Inside Out is about, a sp is about as spot on as you can get, including Amy Poehler, Bill Hader, and Mindy Kaling, and their performance really sells each of our five emotion characters. And Lewis Black. And Lewis Would you let me finish? <laughs> I mean, who else do you cast as anger that works as well as Lewis Black? Oh, Ken. <laughs> me. That's a, you're a terrible, terrible human being. Or Phyllis Smith as the heartbreaking yet lovable sadness. 
who really reminds me of my mom. If any of you, you know, people who know my mom, <laughs> that is my mom. I told her this. She's okay with it, I hope. Good. Uh, yeah, let's hope this wasn't the first instance of that coming out. No, I talked to her about it. Okay. The team at Pixar not only created an engaging story and a beautiful world, they worked their magic to ensure that each of our characters was visually unique, but connected through some fancy ethereal animation. Inside Out is a wonderful story that encourages audience to take a minute and cherish their memories their imaginary friends, and really look at what makes our minds tick. I give it a full four swords. And so the question I pose to you, gentlemen, is where does this movie sit in the pantheon of Pixar successes? I'd say up the top. Really? No, I wouldn't say the very top, but it is in the top. Yeah. Okay, here's my thing about Pixar movies. Almost never bad. Prepare the mm. wet blanket. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It, just, almost never. Just let me, let me finish. Um, no, they're almost never bad. They're almost always excellent. Um, but what I get a little tired of is every time a new one comes out, it's the greatest movie ever. Right. You know, it's oh, yeah. it's the greatest animated film since Snow White. Way better than Snow White. You know, whatever. It, and, and so it I, I do get a little Snow tired White. of that. And I, I don't know why we have to continually seek to dethrone the last great movie. Why can't this just be wonderful? You know? Where does it sit in the pantheon? I yeah, Ken, I I would go with your second statement among the greats. Sure, yeah. yeah. Why does it need to be better than Toy Story? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be. Uh, why does it need to be better than Finding Nemo? It doesn't, and it's not. You know, there are some really great classic Pixar movies, and and we can just let this one join those. The Incredible. Beat them. Yeah. Okay. I. I'm of the mindset. Okay, Craig. Now I'm going to tell you why you're in. Well, <laughs> no, where's, no, you're, where's the popcorn? This is almost more fun than watching a movie. This is better than the Fantastic Four. One's in well, red, one's in hard. blue. No, no. So here's here's the thing. Pixar, you're, you're absolutely right. Pixar has really, they haven't had a failure per se of a right. film. They've had, they've had lesser films. They took a dip. There, uh, there's, a pr- there's a consensus that Pixar took a dip in some of their films with uh, Cars 2... Uh, there, there was a, there was a short era of about four or five films that didn't meet the level that we'd all come to expect because they had Planes. had such consistent success with Toy Story, you right. know, with Finding Nemo, The Incredibles. We had it, such it'd a, be like if Iron Man two came out today. Uh, even when Iron Man two <laughs> came out, it was a disappointment. But it, it was a little bit of a lull. Yeah, Iron Man 2 is a disappointment. I liked Iron Man 2 better than Iron Man 3. Of course you I'm just did. Saying. Okay, but we're going to discuss these things later. Later. So Offline. there's a, there is a lull in Pixar's quality, but those aren't they're not bad movies. They're not right. terrible movies. They're just not what we expected. So Inside Out is kind of it's a little bit of the uptick from coming out of that, sure. which is one of the reasons why a lot of people are saying, you know, this could be the best Pixar film made. The truth is, is because of the the content that Pixar generates and the, the things that they're aiming for. I mean, I joke, it's like, well, what if fish had emotions? What if thoughts had emotions? What if that's basically the, the formula right. for each of their pieces here. Whichever story they tell that resonates with you most is probably the best Pixar film. Right. And that's that's what a storyteller is really aiming to do is res, is tell a story that resonates. Not necessarily tell the best story, but tell a story that affects someone. So the fact is Inside Out may not be the best film in terms of you. if you break down in you know terms of what makes a great film but it can it is one of the best for those who 
for those who's that story yeah, resonates who, who with. who are susceptible to that. Yeah, sure. Susceptible. I'll buy we make that. it sound like it's a disease. Uh, and... I'm sorry. Yeah, they have not been properly inoculated. To and the... so and so I come into it saying, oh, that's really nice. Um, you guys are 20 years younger than I am and probably don't remember a little television series that went off during the 19 early 1990s. He-Man. Called Herman's Head. I remember Herman's Head. Herman's Head told a story of an individual who had to go through his life negotiating problems, challenges, situations, and we watched the interplay of his four base emotions inside his head represented by different actors who were living inside this environment who had to have discussions about how they were going to move forward between you and me in the first 15 20 minutes i was like yeah this is cute i'm seeing the i'm seeing a developmental issue of herman's head and so for me it was it was light it was enjoyable i had a lot of fun with it granted i saw it on vacation down in saint george with my parents and my children and so I was – half the time while I was watching it, I was trying to figure out how we were going to keep these diverse groups of people happy with each other after the film was over. Um, and, I, and I did enjoy the film. But for me, it wasn't quite as earth-shattering or uh, it wasn't like it was breaking new ground because I'd seen this once before. I loved it then. Todd had I loved been, it again. He'd been inoculated. I, I loved it then. I loved it now. But it was it was one of those where I said, you know, this was this was a great retelling of something that I'd already seen. So I think bottom line would be uh, if you have or are going to have kids, uh, get it on DVD because. Oh, yeah. Your you're kids gonna, are going to love it. Yeah, because you're going to want it on your shelf. There's oh, yeah. this. I also love that for me in the realm that uh, that I work in quite a bit. Um, there's also aspects of this outside of the story that really intrigue me because. If you actually take the time to look at the animation that they did, and this is... And this is a different level. This is a different a different kind of a discussion. And on that one, I will say that Pixar continually pushes the boundaries and makes every film that they do more and more effective. Mm-hmm. If If you didn't catch it when you first saw it or you haven't seen it yet, take a minute and really look at the edges of the characters. They actually generated uh, specific the way Pixar does, they generated specific software, specific programs to make it so that these characters did not have a solid, solid form. There is, uh, they're made up of a bunch of goo, not goo, but you know, little, it's like we call them pixies or uh, pixies inside of what we're animation stuff, but they are, they're made up of that. And so you can actually read their, uh, go watch an interview with some of the, the creators is they wanted to make sure that people realize that, this was they still had a an ethereal yes nature to them mm-hmm. that they weren't necessarily solid beings there as much as representations representations yeah. of the their manifestations stuff. and it's beautiful and it's something that you see it very well in joy mm-hmm. oh, joy yeah. is the one that it comes out the most clearly I which think. is also why she translates so poorly into a doll oh yeah every I've other some character of those dolls they're not as they're not as good every other character turns into a doll just fine but the joy i have yet to see a joy doll that doesn't creep me out just a little <laughs> just a little just a bit. little uh well you guys um let's any honorable mentions uh mission impossible rogue nation oh rogue nation uh, yeah. have we all seen that uh, yeah, yeah that so. one was fantastic. That one was outstanding. That uh, one would have been, in, in fact, that one. I th- I think if we could have replaced uh, Fantastic Four with Mission Impossible and just completely forgotten Mission uh, Fantastic Impossible <laughs> yeah. or Fantastic Four existed, Fantastic Impossible. That would have been that would have been awesome. A great summer. Yeah. Um, just Jurassic, the other the other one that I saw. Oh yeah, Jurassic, Jurassic Park, World. Jurassic, Jurassic World. World. Man, Chris Pratt is untouchable at this point. 
Yeah, for another he's, he's for another so eight good. months. Yeah, he's yeah. so good. Though. He's he's Until, dialed in the action hero look. Yeah. I don't know that any of us saw this film. Um, I think it deserves a mention because the series somehow continues to survive and people still enjoy it. Furious Seven. I saw oh, it. Yeah, yeah. I um, saw it. There's a there's a very very simple and good explanation for why that series survives. You be careful. And the word is family. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll take that because Ohana. people people crave that that sense of community and family uh in movies they're not really getting much of it anymore no they're not uh but fantastic what fantastic yeah fast and furious Furious, this fast and furious franchise really delivers on that that that's kind of the whole concept behind this is uh whether it's paul walker's character going off into the sunset to raise his family or whether it's the group coming together and and acting as a kind of surrogate family that's what it's all about, and uh, and so yeah, there are some great car chases and action scenes, and and it's, sure, uh, I'm pretty sure it was about cars. But <laughs> you know what? Bikini butts and all that. The the reality is, what it started as may have been one thing, but what it has what yeah. it has grown it has into, into is yeah. a is a really interesting kind of a very sh- of a very franchise. very savvy storytelling. Uh, I I I won't say I'm all in. You know, I'm, I'm not like a huge fan of this franchise, but I get why it's so popular, and I've got no problem with it. Go for it. Yeah, Make okay. as many as you want. You were treading on dangerous ground, but we can still be friends. <laughs> um, Just not a car guy. I got a different word for it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Uh, one film that I saw that I don't think any of you guys saw was Mad Max Fury Road. I did not see yeah, Mad Max. See wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It is probably too late now, unless you've got a, a really great big screen and sound system at home. It's probably too late now because it was a movie theater movie. Um yeah, but uh, astounding filmmaking. Loved Mad Max. Uh, let's see. I don't have anything else. So uh, I think we're coming up on the end. You guys, do you have uh, any final summer movie thoughts? I'm sure someone's yelling out right now. What about this movie? <laughs> right. Hey, you know what? And with with that in mind, uh, jump onto our Facebook page and yeah. tell us what movies you think we really totally missed and should have included in our recap. And who knows? Maybe we'll do another one of these toward uh, toward the time that we get ready to launch Star Wars. I'm thinking, uh, yeah, we'll we'll do, a, we'll do a, a winter movie review as well, which will and be also, us talking for an hour about Star Wars. Yeah, It'll be it, well, you know, and let's, James Bond. Let's be fair. We've got James Bond. We've got Mockingjay. We've got the second in the Maze Runners, the uh, Scorch Trials. Scorch Trials, and we've got Star Wars. We've got some pretty heavy hitting movies that are lined up for the end of this season. So what I hear is we have two episodes. We have the Star Wars episode and everything else. Yeah, Actually, pretty much. much. Let's let's be honest. We have three episodes. Um, <laughs> one Star Wars, then Star Wars. Than Star Wars and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> 118 days, by the way. Nice. Did I just date the podcast? 100, yeah. 117 days for us. So, hopefully. Uh, thank hopefully you. Oh, I've got, a, I've got a line. We'll get you taken care of. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, and uh, a big thanks, uh, by the way, to the state, the great state of Washington, my second home. Uh, we've picked up a lot of listeners there this month. Um, thanks so, all seven of you <laughs> let's try not to offend the state of washington this time like we did no, with wisconsin uh, <laughs> we we go really great with uh craft beer and a giant uh roll of weed maybe that's why we did so well in sweden for so long <laughs> and tossed fish <laughs> so Lutvisk. um no it, it's uh it's always like i said i think on the last episode when we highlighted uh, australia it's always fun to see where these little pockets pop up 
and uh, we had a bunch of people listen in in uh, the state of Washington. So I would presume the Seattle area, but... Uh, Stay dry, Seattle. I'm going to wear my flannel and talk like Eddie Vedder. Oh, my gosh. You guys, this is my second home, by the way. I'm from Seattle. Um, I, I say I'm from Seattle and Salt Lake. Uh, and so... I love Seattle, so screw you. I, uh, I love Seattle too. If I, I've learned one thing about s- satellites, Seattleites, whatever over the years, Seattleites. and it mostly comes from their soccer base and their soccer fans. They don't care what you think about them. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? All right, you guys. Um, thanks again for listening. Do not forget to ju- uh, jump onto the legendariumpodcast.com to sign up for your free Audible credit. Good for one audio book. Go to thelegendariumpodcast.com and support us. We would really appreciate it if you are not already using the service. Uh, if you would sign up for that wonderful, wonderful audiobook service and go use your free credit for the Belgariad uh, number four, which is called Castle, Castle, Castle of Wizardry. Wizardry. Castle of Wizardry. You can get the audiobook for free if you sign up, uh, and, and we will catch up to that one next week. We'll talk to you all then. Read a book. All right. I'm cutting one or both of those out.